for Jesus. I know I'm a crying mess. I just... How do you sing about the crucifixion of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and not ever be moved? I can sing about one day where we'll proclaim the name above all names is worthy to be praised, and yet you're thinking about what you're going to eat for lunch. How does that happen? I'll tell you how. You're distracted. Or you don't know Jesus. Because worship should bring us to the foot of the cross. Before the preacher ever mounts the pulpit, we should have been to Calvary and back. And be humbled by the fact that Jesus did all of that for us. And it's not just history. He's in the middle of every one of our sorrows this very moment. Friend, if you brought a sorrow in your marriage, he's in the middle of it. If your kids are carrying sorrows, he's in the middle of it. There's sorrow in your bank account, Jesus knows. There's sorrow at your job, he knows. If you're carrying a chronic illness, Jesus is in the middle of that. If you're frustrated today and you're burdened today and you're downtrodden today and you're overwhelmed today, would you hear me, church? Jesus is in the middle of that. He's in the middle of it all. So thankful, so thankful. Jesus maybe I'm extra teary today about that because I've been in the middle of this text for the last two weeks trying to figure out in my mind how in the world can I get across Philippians 2 verses 5 through 11 like I'm supposed to some say it's the hymn of the New Testament like the hymn you sing some say it's like the golden nugget tucked away in all of Paul's epistles that shines the brightest. And yet I'm tasked with the responsibility of declaring this truth about Jesus today. But I think God has given us a message in a way in which we can do this the best. I've asked Brother Sid to help me, and Bobby's going to help him bring a ladder up. Don't let that distract you too much. But it's going to help us get across the truth of this text today. I want us to begin reading Philippians 2 and verse number 5. It'll be on the screen if you didn't bring your Bible today. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I need to pray today. Father, would you help me? Give me composure. 
the ability to get into the message. I know you've got something for us today. You want us to live in the same humility that Jesus lived in. Seems like an impossible task. But God, help us to fix our eyes upon this text. For it tells us exactly how we can live in humility. And ultimately how to experience harmony in our church. And most importantly to get out the gospel message to a lost and dying world. God help us today. In your most precious name I pray. And all God's people said. Amen. In our world today. It seems like there's always a ladder to climb. Seems like we're always wanting to take the next step. This was true in, in how it's been for my purchase history of my vehicles. My first vehicle I got at the age of 14 had no windows and it had no doors. It was a Yamaha moped. I rode that thing with pride. Every day to school for age 14, age 16, I rode that thing in the hot and the cold. I delivered up to 276 papers a day on that moped and I drove through Daylight Donuts drive through every day without shame. <laughs> I'm still reaping the benefits from that today. <laughs> I didn't stay there at the bottom of the ladder though. I, age 16 I purchased, I think it was a 1987 Ford Ranger from Mike Puthers, a faithful member of our church. And I drove that until it fell apart, like literally fell apart. On South Grant, something fell out from under it. I don't know cars. I don't know what it was. I just know it was important, and I can't drive it anymore. <laughs> and so my senior year, my parents got me a 1992 Geo Prism. Four-door light blue, sky blue as I like to call it. I drove that to college, and my brother had a nicer car than I did, but thanks to his irresponsibility, that got taken away, and I was gifted a 1997 Honda Accord. TJ, thank you for being less than perfect. <laughs> Graduated college where I married into a 1999 uh, Pontiac Grand Am. It was my wife's. It's a nice car, so we kept it for a couple of years, and then we decided to go up the ladder even more and purchase a 2006 Saturn view, which I still drive to this day. It's the one with the window knocked out in the back. You'll see it in the assistant pastor's parking spot. <laughs> My wife got sick and we needed something to get us down the highway a little better. We went up the ladder a little more and got us a 2015 Toyota Venza with leather seats and heated seats. And I've come a long way since the moped days. I've climbed the ladder. People who buy homes do the same thing. They go to college and buy a one-bedroom apartment and then graduate college and maybe get a two-bedroom apartment or they start the early days of their career and then they meet someone, get married and get a fixer-upper. Then several years later they might get that three-bedroom, two-bath, 1,800-square-foot home and then they sit around the rest of their lives dreaming of the day they get the 3,500-square-foot house on the lake with their own private zip code. There's always another step to take. I've seen young men on a basketball team make the varsity team their freshman year. I've heard stories where, where they would get in a couple games off as a substitute 
in their freshman year, and then their sophomore year, they would make the starting five. In their junior year, they would be all-conference. In their senior year, they would be all-state, and they would get a scholarship to college where they would have all-American honors, and they would get drafted in the first round of the NBA where they became an all-star. Then they became an MVP. Then they became a Hall of Famer. I mean, there's always a step up. I started working at Walmart as a cart pusher at the age of 16. Definitely uh, took a step down from paperboy to cart pusher, but I had great things awaiting me. And I even read a story about how that one Walmart employee started as a cart pusher, then became a cashier, then became a customer service manager, and then became a department manager, then an assistant manager, then a store manager, then a district manager, then a regional manager, and is now sitting in a corner office in Bentonville, Arkansas, making massive decisions, enjoying a massive salary on behalf of Walmart. They went from the bottom up. It's not wrong to want to take another step forward. And it's not wrong to want to seek success. After all, Jesus is the one that said that that if you're faithful and little, I'll bless you with much. And God is the one that said through the Apostle Paul that whatsoever you do, do with all your strength and all your soul and all your mind. And you just watch where God takes your effort when you do it right. But there is a danger in wanting to always take the next step up, and that's in our motive. Because often we are climbing the ladder in search of status. Because the higher we go up, the more status we get. And the more status we get, the more money we get. And the more power we get. And the more influence we get. And we all like to be thought of as somebody. The problem with that is it fosters a me first attitude. It fosters an attitude that says serve me and please me and listen to me and follow me. We've all seen a person at work who started on the bottom rung, and it seems as though with every promotion they got, they became a different person. More self-centered and more self-serving. And listen, that's one thing when it happens at work, but when that me first mentality creeps into God's house, it's very, very, very dangerous. That me first mentality, that prideful mentality that Paul calls strife and vainglory that we talked about last week. Literally, it can destroy the unity of a church. A, a congregation, a, a congregation that, that says, please me and, and, and serve me and, and, and do things my way. Paul sadly saw that attitude creeping into the church of Philippi. And so he wrote into that church... Basically, this entire chapter telling them, hey, in essence, don't be as concerned with climbing up the ladder to serve your own interest. I want you to be more concerned about climbing down the ladder to serve the interests of others. He put it this way in verse 3 and 4. Let nothing be done through strife of vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look, not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Paul says there will be harmony in the church when there's humility in the people. That is, when you are thinking more of others than you're thinking of yourself. And he says, now I want to give you an example of what that looks like. And your example is Jesus Christ, who came down the ladder to serve your interest. He came down to the lowest level that any man could ever think about coming. Notice he didn't give them an example of someone who came from the bottom of the ladder to the top. Like a cart pusher that became a CEO. 
or like a substitute that became an MVP one day. No, he said, those aren't your examples. The example is the Lord Jesus Christ that came from the top and descended down because he loved you. And Paul says, I want to look at this mindset, this attitude, this example in its fullest. For when you see how far down Christ came to serve you, you'll be motivated to know how far you can go down and should go down to serve others. Verse 5, he said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And look where Paul starts in verse 6. Who being in the form of God. So he started with where Jesus started. Brother said, if you would ascend the top of the ladder. We've already signed insurance papers and Everything else he's agreed, if he gets hurt, it's on him. Paul started his example of Jesus with where Jesus was. Because if we don't understand how high Jesus was to start, we won't be able to understand or appreciate how low he came. He said he was in the form of God. He was the same as God. That meant he was sitting on the throne With God in heaven where angels were bowing before him and adoring him and and worshiping him. It meant that he had the same nature of God. That meant he was eternal. He had always been. It meant that he was omniscient. That that means he was all-knowing and he never needed advice. It meant that he was omnipotent. He was all-powerful and he never needed help. He was omnipresent. He was everywhere and never needed directions. Jesus was like God, the creator who in six literal days spoke the earth into existence and put us in it so he could have a relationship with people. And then he created all of heaven so that one day we could go up and spend all of eternity with him. Sadly, those of us who he created messed that up. Adam and even Genesis 3 sinned and messed up God's plan. And as Jesus looked down from his throne, he knew that he had to do something Because those people could no longer come up to heaven. They would bring a stench with their sin if they let them in glory, if they let them in heaven. And Jesus knew this is only a job that God could do. Because only God could go and walk among sinners and yet not have his own sin to pay for. Only God could go and walk among sinners and be ridiculed and not ridiculed back. Only God could be spat upon but not spit back. Only God could be beaten but not hit back. Only God could be forsaken and not get bitter. And so Jesus took the initiative to take the first step down. The Bible says he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Did you notice his first step in humility was in his mind? It was his mindset because humility always starts in the mind. How you think of yourself and how you think of others. Jesus didn't view his equality with God as something to leverage for his own purposes and to serve his own interests. I want you to get this. Paul said he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. That word robbery comes from the Greek word pogmos. It means literally to grasp something selfishly. And that makes sense when you think about a robber. 
going into a bank or going into a, a convenience store or going to a home and grasping selfishly what he's after. He has no thought about anybody but himself in that moment. And Paul is saying Jesus didn't view his equality as something that he could grasp selfishly for himself. No, he viewed it as an opportunity to give of himself selflessly. He said, I don't view my equality, my power, and my position as something to serve my own interest. It's an opportunity for me to serve the interests of others. And so he took another step down in verse 7. He made himself of no reputation. That phrase, no reputation, literally means he emptied himself. That doesn't mean he emptied himself of his deity. He was still 100% God. He emptied himself of the constant use of his deity. Do you understand? Could you imagine if you had all the power of God, and yet you came and you clothed yourself in the likeness of man? Wouldn't there be situations and, and points of time where you would feel like exercising your power? Like when I'm driving from the south end of town to the north end of town on Pershing Avenue and somebody wants to go 20 miles an hour, I would like to exercise my deity at that point. And you got to know that Jesus was in situations where he wanted so badly just to speak the word. And yet he emptied himself of that ego, of that reputation, of that right. It's amazing. And he took yet another step down when he took upon himself the form of a servant. And he was made in the likeness of man. You know what we call this? The incarnation of Jesus. Where God became man. And he was 100% God, yet at the same time, 100% man. It started in the way that he was born. You understand, this just shows his humility. He wasn't born into the rolling, ruling Roman Empire of the world. He was born into a, a small, obscure town called Nazareth. People would walk through Nazareth, and they would point their nose up in the airs and, and say things like this. What good could come out of Nazareth? Jesus wasn't born into a middle-income family with financial means. He was born into the home of a very poor and young and scared couple. Jesus didn't sleep his first night in, on this earth in a warm, cozy nursery surrounded by medical experts who tended to his every need. His first night was spent in a trough made for animals, a feeding trough. Our kids will get up on our platforms and they'll sing, away in a manger, no crib for a bed. And we'll, we'll film it on our phones and post it on Facebook and hope for likes and shares and all of this without ever even thinking about the whole point of a manger. We become immune. Facing the cattle or lowing, the baby awakes as though that's normal. There aren't supposed to be cattle surrounding the Son of God. But yet he made himself like a man. That meant he would have got tired. And that meant he got hungry. And that meant he got sick. And that meant he felt, he felt pain when he got a splinter in his dad's carpenter shop. It, it meant that he got bored. It meant there are times when he was tempted to talk back to his parents. But yet he didn't. The Bible says he, he took upon himself the form of a servant. There's no greater example of that than when he knelt down with a, a bucket of water and a towel. And he washed the dirty, smelly, 
nasty feet of his disciples. 11 of which were his close friends. One was about to betray him, and you better believe Jesus knew it. When I got to Judas, I would have skipped right over him. I would have rolled up the towel and whipped him real hard. (laughs) Jesus stayed on his knees, and he washed the feet and served his betrayer. Most of the time, we won't even look at our betrayer. Won't even shake their hand. Jesus washed his feet. Unbelievable. Surely that's far enough down. From equality with God to on the ground with a bucket and a rag washing the feet of sinful men, surely that's far enough down, right? Paul says he took one more gigantic leap. In verse 8, Where it says, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Christ didn't come to wash feet. Christ came to pay for your sins. And he couldn't do that by washing feet. He had to take one more step down in humility, one more form of servanthood. And the Bible says he died for you and he died for me. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was wounded for our transgressions. The sin of the world was placed upon him. It wasn't an ordinary death. It was the most humiliating and painful death that we could ever conceive. Death by way of crucifixion. Humiliating because crucifixion was reserved for notorious criminals and and rebellious slaves and foreign terrorists. Painful because before he even ever got to the cross, he was stripped naked and laid over a whipping post where skilled and talented and experienced Roman soldiers would take a cat of nine tails and lay his back open for hours just to the point of death. Right before they knew he couldn't take any more and was going to die, they pulled him off that whipping post and they put a crown of thorns in his brow. They didn't lay it on there like many of the pictures depict. They put it on his head and then they take a big rod and they would shove it down into his skull, breaking blood vessels and a migraine would ensue and he would black out. He would throw up. And then they, they, they went to put that old rugged cross on his back that had been laid open. Those splinters would dig deep into his flesh. And they would irritate those open wounds and he would have to walk all the way up the Via Della Rosa where on his right people were throwing things at him and on his left people were cursing him. And he'd walk all the way up to what they call the place of the skull. And when they got to Golgotha at the foot of the hill they would lay that cross down and then they would lay Jesus and his open wounds on that cross. And when they take spikes and they would put them right below his hands and that would sever his tendons and splinter his bones. And when he was securely fastened to the timber, they would hoist that cross up. And when it was 100% vertical, the weight of his body would sag upon those nails. And in order to get air, he would hoist himself up and take a breath and he would fall back down. And experts say that dying on a cross felt like you were drowning to death. You would have to come up and get some breath and you would go down. And come up and get some death and you would go down. A criminal who died on the cross died from suffocation. And to think he did that for me? 
And to think he did that for you, he came from, from equality with God to dying as a lamb on a cross. Charles Wesley painted the picture perfectly when he wrote the song, And Can It Be? He said he left his father's throne above so free, so infinite his grace, emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all, immense and free, for oh my God, it found out me. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldest die for me? And Paul is saying, take a look at Jesus today. Oh, you can't get along with your brother or sister in Christ? Take a look at Jesus. Oh, someone offended you? Take a look at Jesus. Someone hurt your kids? Take a look at Jesus. Someone talked bad about you? Take a look at Jesus. Someone stole your parking spot? Take a look at Jesus. Look how far Jesus came down for you, and you go and do the same thing for others. Let's say it this way, you are never more like Jesus than when you are humbly serving others. Listen, choir, you're not like Jesus when you stand up there and sing. And I'm not like Jesus when I stand up here and preach. And we're not like Jesus when we're bossing people around at work and we're making a big salary and when we've climbed up the ladder. This isn't like Jesus. We're like Jesus when we take a rag and we take a bucket of water and we serve people and we wash feet and we say, what can I do for you? What might that look like in our life? Does that mean we have to come out of heaven or be born in a stable or die on a cross, thank heavens it doesn't mean that. But it might mean when someone in church says something to me that seems to be more than a joke, it's a personal slight, instead of climbing up the ladder to serve my own interest, I'm gonna take a step down to be patient and forgiving and, and I'm gonna refuse to retaliate. Humility. When someone stands up to sing or teach or give a testimony and you know the real them and such hypocrisy makes you cringe instead of serving your own interest and, and gossiping about that person or refusing to get a blessing from that person's ministry, you're going to take a step down and realize that you have some real life faults of your own and you're going to pray for that person instead of slandering them. Humility. When you get a text, can you work the nursery again? It means you're not going to make up a half-truth about why you can't, but you're going to take a step down and agree to miss your Bible study class and church service again so that others can enjoy it without distraction. Humility. When I disagree with my pastor, I'm not going to cause a scene so as to seek my own interest. I'm going to approach it humbly. I'm going to talk directly to him, and I'm going to choose that no matter the decision, I will support the man of God that I call my pastor because I care more about the interests of the church than my own. Humility. When you think you should get that position in church or sing that solo in the choir, instead of climbing up the ladder in pride, you're going to climb down the ladder in humility and you're just going to be thankful to serve in whatever capacity God lets you. When someone calls you to make a side dish for a funeral for somebody you don't even know and you've never met, it's an already busy week and you don't have the time or the energy, you're going to take a step down to serve the interest of others by putting together, I don't know, a salad and some green beans. 
When you serve in a ministry and, man, you do a good job and you're always on time and, and you're dependable but seldom get appreciated for like you think you should, you're not going to climb up the ladder and get offended. You're not going to climb up the ladder and quit. You're going to take a step down in humility realizing that what you do, you do for Jesus Christ and you're going to keep serving the interests of others more than your own no matter who recognizes it. When someone you go to church with looks at someone, looks at something in life a little differently than you do, I don't know, personal standards maybe, standards for their children, how they handle their money, politics, you're not going to climb up the ladder and oppose them on Facebook and gossip about them at church. You're going to realize that Christian liberty doesn't just apply to you, it also applies to your fellow church member who sees life a little bit differently. Humility is when you choose to climb down the ladder and embrace what you do have in common with your sister in Christ and embrace what you do have in common with your brother in Christ and strive together to reach others with the gospel. You are never more like Jesus than when you are humbly serving others. And you might look and say, my goodness, that's a long way down. Not as long as Jesus came down for you. So what? You didn't get a thank you note in the mail. At least you didn't have to wear a crown of thorns. So what? You didn't get that position you thought you deserved and someone got it that you know didn't deserve it. At least you didn't get strung over a whipping post and beat with a cat of nine tails. Is anybody in here today? So what? Somebody hurts your feelings. You didn't have to walk up the Via Della Rosa hoisting an old rugged cross knowing you're about to suffocate to death. Come on. Jesus is our example. He went down, and you might think, well, Brother Tyler, in our society, nice guys finish last. Humble people, well, they stay on the bottom. Don't paint some beautiful picture like being humble is great to our world because that's not how you get ahead. And if you're using the world standard, you're exactly right, but I'm thankful God uses a different standard. For God didn't lead Jesus dead. Did you hear me? God didn't leave Jesus dead. When it looked like death was going to swallow him up and the end of Jesus Christ, he was going to be like any other false God that died and stayed dead. When it looked like that, up from the grave, he arose with a mighty, a mighty, what's the words to the song? Triumph. Woo! He didn't stay dead. He came out of the grave, and Paul says this, God highly exalted him, verse number nine. He highly exalted him. That word highly means super exalted him. He put him right back up to the throne. He's sitting right by the throne of God. Angels are bowing before him at this very moment. Angels are worshiping him at this very moment. Angels are adoring him at this very moment. He is back at the throne as the sovereign God of the world. And the Bible says the earth is but his footstool. Oh, he took a ne- another step up. God raised him to this point. He gave him a name that is above every name. That is the most honored name. I'll tell you why it's the most honored name. Because in verse 11, we're given that name where every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is what? Lord. God gave Jesus the name that he used to refer to himself. That's Yahweh. 
And God is saying, hey, I've given him the most honored and cherished name that anybody could ever have, and that's the name Yahweh God. So whenever you sing Jesus Christ is Lord, you're actually saying Jesus Christ is God. Oh, but he raised him up some more. Where he said every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That means every knee will bend to his submission, in submission to him. Every, every head will bow and acknowledge his sovereignty and acknowledge his deity and acknowledge his power. I'm talking everybody. He said angels in heaven, all of them, will bend. All of them will bow. Every race on earth, every tribe on earth, every religious sect on earth, every demographic on earth will bow before him. And I like this, every demon under the earth will one day say, you are Lord. The old devil who tried to be Lord himself will one day kneel at the throne of God and confess before everybody, yes, you are God. And I will shove it in the devil's face if God lets me. He won't let me because I'll be a perfect person. But I wish I could. Question, did Jesus lose? Did Jesus, Jesus finish last? Did Jesus miss out on anything? No. Because he humbled himself, God raised him up. And Paul says, God will do the same thing for you. If you go down the ladder, God will raise you up. Say it out loud with me. Go. If you go down the ladder, God will raise you up. Say, go down the ladder. You might be thinking, well, that's all good, but that doesn't really happen, does it? Well, maybe if we're not thinking about it in God's terms, in the way God thinks about it. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, into the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Hebrews 6.10, for God is not unrighteous, praise the Lord, to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed towards his name, and that ye have ministered to the saints, and do minister. The world may forget, your boss may forget, the pastor may forget, but God keeps scoring, he never loses track. Matthew 5.12 says, rejoice and be exceeding glad, catch this, for great is your reward, give me the next two words out loud, in did it say on earth? I can't guarantee if you come down the ladder and you serve others in humility like Jesus did, I can't, I can't guarantee that you'll have the corner office. I can't guarantee that you'll get the promotion. I can't guarantee you'll have a fat salary. I can't guarantee you'll have a new car and a big old home and life will be peachy king for, forever. I can't guarantee that. But what I can guarantee is when you stand before a holy God, you will be exalted. You will be rewarded in due time. Think about it. Jesus didn't get exalted till he got to heaven. He got beat down here. God didn't put him on the throne till he got to heaven. God didn't give him a new name till he got to heaven. And his exaltation isn't even fulfilled yet because not every knee has bowed. Every tongue has confessed. If Jesus isn't exalted on earth, what makes you think you're going to be? 
If we're like Jesus and we come down the ladder, you better be banking on it. There's a reward waiting for you in heaven. And I don't know about you, I'd much rather take the reward of God than the reward of man. That means when someone hurts you and you forgive them, your reward is in heaven. When you follow the leadership of your God-given pastor, even when he's not perfect, your reward is in heaven. When you work nursery, even though you don't want to and it's not your turn, you better believe your reward's in heaven. When you pray for that hypocrite that gets on your nerves, your reward is in heaven. When you don't get that position you think you should get, but you go on serving joyfully anyway, your reward is in heaven. When you make a side dish for someone that you don't know, with time you don't have, your reward is in heaven. When you serve faithfully week after week and don't get recognized for it, your reward is in heaven. When you refuse to let a disagreement with a brother or sister distract you from working together with them for the gospel, hey, your reward is in heaven. You're not losing. When you come down the ladder in due time, God will raise you up. There's the message. Are you serving like Jesus? Are you forgiving like Jesus? Are you giving like Jesus? Are you loving like Jesus? Are you coming down the ladder like Jesus? Or is your life about one step up from another? It's all about searching for status. Me first, me first, me first. Hey, hey, marriages out there, husband and wife, does your marriage look like you're coming down or are you always climbing up? You wonder why you're fighting all the time. The Bible says where there's contention, there's pride, not humility. Hey, husband, why don't you try climbing down the ladder to serve the interest of your wife every day? See where that takes your marriage. Hey, wife, why don't you climb down the ladder to serve the interest of your husband every day? See where that takes your marriage. Come on. Are you coming to church as, as a spectator or as a participant? Are you giving, are you serving, or is everybody giving to you and serving you? No, come on. The house of God doesn't function and run by people that are constantly trying to climb the ladder. It's run successfully, and lives are changed from people every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, coming to the doors of Fellowship Baptist Church, and they wash feet. And they give up of their time, and they give up their secular interest, and they come in here and they invest in things that are actually eternal. That's how this place operates. It operates because bus workers come at 7.30, 7.45, 8 o'clock in the morning and get on that cold bus. Did you go outside at that time this morning? That's coming down the ladder. You are never more like Jesus than when you are humbly serving others. If you agree with the Bible today, say amen. amen. Listen closely. Listen, you can never hope to be like Jesus until you know Jesus. I can't help but think, Pastor, that in all the talk about the cross today and the resurrection of Christ today, there has to be someone stirring in their heart saying, I don't know if I have that. I don't know if that's ever changed my life. I'm talking to you this morning who you can't go back to a place where you've met Jesus Christ. Maybe your grandma told you you did it at such and such age and you were over here and you whispered this prayer. You can't, it's so vague, you can't remember any of it. 
You can't go back to a place where God drew you inside of your heart. I talked to a man this week. And he said, I know I'm saved because I remember as a boy sitting in church, it's like God's powerful hand was reaching down and he was pulling me. That's what it feels like. It almost feels irresistible. It's such a strong drawing of God. Has that ever happened in your life? Have you ever been obedient to that call, to that draw of God, and someone shows you from the Bible how you could know that the same Jesus that came down the ladder to serve the interests of all of mankind is the same Jesus that can change your life and live in your heart and take you to heaven? Have you ever called upon God to be your Savior? If not, you can do that today. By just admitting that you're a sinner. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God. By believing that Jesus died for that sin. You, you understand that even when you were a sinner and you were condemned to death, that God sent his son to die on the cross in spite of your sin. Believe it. Have faith in it like you had faith in that chair you sat on today. And then you call upon God to save you. And that's why we still do a public invitation here. Because we believe that salvation is twofold. Believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth. Romans chapter 10, 9 and 10. And we give you an opportunity, not in front of everyone, but, but to come and to talk to our pastor right here. To be led to a room on one of these side rooms privately. And they can show you how you can call upon God to save you. I just want to know by, by, by a sound of amen out loud. Have you done that? Say amen. Listen. If you couldn't say amen, you're surrounded by people that have been right where you are right now. And they were nervous and they were scared and thinking, not in a public setting, it's 2018, we don't do that anymore. Oh yes, we do. If we preach the gospel, we give you, an opp- we give you a chance. You don't have to. You don't have to. But we can't say the last amen today without giving you an opportunity. Christian, if you're not living in harmony with fellow believers in church or out of church. It's because there's not humility. Maybe you've been reminded that you're not quite coming down as far as you should in humility. And you need to come to an altar today and repent of that. God help us to make this place a house of prayer. Would you stand to your feet, every head bowed.